Hi, I'm Siobhan Hunt, and this is Kindling Conversation, a Kindling Kids radio podcast. Just a quick note before we get into the next episode. If you haven't already, I'd love you to rate and review Kindling Conversation wherever you get your podcasts, or if you enjoy the episode, share it with your friends. All right, thank you, and on with the show. Tara Westover grew up in rural Idaho. Her family were Mormons, but as the years passed, her father became more extreme. His distrust of the government meant that Tara was homeschooled and they didn't go to doctors. When she was 17, she decided to educate herself. She went to Brigham Young University, where she won a Gates Cambridge scholarship. Not bad for someone who didn't even have a birth certificate before turning nine years of age. Her book, Educated, is about her journey from rural Idaho to Cambridge University. Hi, Tara. How are you? Good. How are you? Good, thank you. What was great about your childhood? There were a lot of things that were great about it. You know, we had a, we lived on this amazing, beautiful mountain. Um, we spent a lot of hours on it gathering rose hips and lawn leaves and other things that my mother could brew into tinctures because she was an herbalist. And we had a junkyard that was kind of like an exotic playground. And there were a lot of good things about it. And in terms of education, you know, we didn't have a lot of formal education. We were, we were definitely taught to read. It was very important that we could read. Um, but there wasn't, you know, I never wrote an essay or I never took an exam or, or anything like that. So when I did go to college, I had pretty massive gaps in my knowledge, one of my first lectures, I raised my hand in class and asked what the Holocaust was because I hadn't heard of it before. So it's, in a way, it, it wasn't an ideal education. I wasn't prepared for college. If, if, if that's what you think an education is, it definitely wasn't that. And that is part of what an education is probably. But there were things about it that were that were really good, even from an educational standpoint. You know, my parents had this philosophy that you can teach yourself anything better than someone else can teach it to you. And I, I, I really valued, valued that. I, I value it more and more as I get older, this idea that learning is kind of a little bit your own responsibility or, or maybe mostly your own responsibility. And that if you really want to learn something, it's not to say that you're not listening to other people who know, but that it's it's your own responsibility to take ownership and, and have buy-in for that and, and kind of design your own curriculum. What made, I mean, you touched on it just then, but what made it challenging your childhood? Well, there were a lot of aspects of it. You know, my dad had these really radical beliefs, and uh, I'm not entirely sure where they came from, but I think they might have come from the fact that he's bipolar. I I think he's bipolar. That's my speculation or or schizophrenic or something. So he had these kind of really extreme radical views about the government or school or doctors and hospitals. He thought they'd been corrupted by the Illuminati, that they were kind of somehow they had been kind of inducted into into the realms of, of, of Satan in, in some way. And so he, uh, so the, you know, there were a lot of things that were difficult because we were so isolated. And we maybe, we would get injured working in my dad's junkyard, but we wouldn't be given medical care because he didn't believe in, in doctors or he was worried that they would be actually trying to hurt us because of the beliefs he had. So his beliefs, I think, did make some aspects of, of that just, just really difficult. When you say difficult, I'm trying to imagine what it was like for you as a child because you're saying it now as an adult, also with your own education and all the perspective that gave you. Um, you can see that your father's beliefs were extreme, but as co- of course as a child, that's, that's your reality. That's all that you're given. So when you say that it was challenging that he held these beliefs, 
Was it challenging because it painted the world as a frightening place? Or was it challenge? Like, I mean, did you just take for granted what he said was the truth? Yeah, his was the only perspective I had access to. So I, you know, I, I, everything he said about the world, when he said that the public schools were, were dangerous or the doctors were trying to injure us, I believed that. I had no reason not to. People really love to ask me um, whether my family, whether I think my family was a cult. And my answer to that is always, I think all families are cults. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, I think uh, even for people who, who weren't as isolated as we were and, and, and for whom the, the, the boundaries between them and, and the rest of the world, their family and the rest of the world are more porous, I, I think your family, you know, they, they create your world for you really. And there is for everybody, and in my case, it was kind of extreme, but I think that that journey that you have to make to grow up for everybody, part of what it means to grow up is learning to define yourself both in connection to and in counter distinction to your parents. And so, you know, for the story that I wrote, you know, for my story, I think people do want to make this a sociological story. They want they want the story to be about education in this kind of technical institutional sense. How do we raise kids that, that care about education? And how do we, how come some kids are resilient? And how come some kids care about books and others don't? They want these kind of sociological institutional questions. And for me, that's not really um, what it's about. I, I see the story, the questions that it asks, I think, are are. are are less sociological and more psychological, and they're more about all the different versions of a person that can exist in the space of their life, and about um, whether your first self is your only true self or whether you're allowed to change. And for parents, I think, that question of, and for families, you know, what happens when, when the people near you, especially your family, can't allow you to change or just can't accept any other version of you. And I think for parents, that will look different. For, for me, I was looking at it from the child perspective. You know, what do I do when I, I've changed and, and that's hard for my family to accept? But I think the, for the parent side of it, it would be, you know, what do I do when my child changes? And, uh, and that's something I can't accept. As you mentioned there, it, this is a coming-of-age story for you when you decided to educate yourself at 17 years of age. In that sense, you moved further and further from home, you got more education and therefore more perspective. In that coming of age, was it delightful or discombobulating as you learned more of these things, like the Holocaust? <laughs> All of that, both of that. <laughs> no, um, it, was, it was discombobulating, but it was also it was also illuminating and expanding. But um, I think initially, especially, it was just really uncomfortable. You know, you start to see that the world suddenly isn't the way that you thought it was and that you're not living in the world you thought you were. And, and initially, that's just really, really uncomfortable. I was going to say, because for us, it's almost like you've come to our perspective. And so people probably accept that and think, oh, well, that must have been great for her. But if you take it back to the sense that this was your this was your world, this is how you understood it, and all of a sudden it all just got... Well, not all of a sudden, I'm sure it was gradual, the cracks appeared and then the whole thing fell apart. That sounds really frightening to me. Yeah, it was, and I think there's a real identity issue there that happens where for a long time I felt kind of strung out between two worlds and I didn't necessarily know... Oh, I didn't really belong to either one. And I think I think that might be a permanent fixture of my life to not really quite feel like I belong in any particular... I definitely don't belong where I grew up. I, if I went back and tried to live on that farm, I wouldn't be able to do it for all kinds of reasons. Um, but I equally don't know as I'll ever fully feel like I belong outside of that farm either. And I think that there were periods in my life where that was really uncomfortable and I felt like 
like I needed to fit unequivocally somewhere. And 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 the older that I get, the the less I feel that need. You're listening to Kindling Conversation. I'm speaking with Tara Westover. She's the author of Educated. It's a memoir of her of her life going from a very insular family in Idaho, in rural Idaho, to being homeschooled and then educating herself, going to university, getting a scholarship ultimately at Cambridge. Tara, your elder brother was abusive, but your parents didn't believe you. What impact did that have on you? I think there was, there's obviously two parts to that. There's the impact that the relationship I had with him and that the kind of violence and manipulation had an impact. And it's a weird thing to say to people, but I, I felt like personally that was something that we could have gotten over. There was a, there was a path forward, I think. Even, even as a family, I feel like there was a path forward. What There didn't seem to be a path through for my family, or I would say what broke my family apart wasn't so much the abuse, but the response to the rebu- abuse, which is, you know, when I got to Cambridge, I, um, I made the decision to confront my parents about my brother and, and, and ask them to put a stop to it. And my parents, for whatever reason just decided to, um, they decided I was lying and they decided not to believe me about my brother. And that, I think at the time, it must have seemed like a small decision to them that they could just kind of keep this quiet and go back to the status quo and just try to ignore it. And and I, it must have seemed like a small decision for them, but it was absolutely not a small decision. And it would end up, I think, having some pretty serious consequences for my family. I'm thinking here from the parents' perspective as well, not just your parents' perspective, but any parent, if they find out one child is being awful to another, but truly awful, not just teasing or whatever normal siblings do. This was quite extreme abuse that you're talking about. You mentioned one he used to grab you by the hair and put your head down the toilet. So um, imagine for parents that the thing for them that is hard to accept is that one child would willfully hurt another but in the process of not pulling him up on that, did it make you start to question your own sense of what was happening? I mean, there was a lot of reality bending and that term gaslighting in my family and a lot of rationalizing or justifying or euphemizing, all those ising words. But I think, <laughs> you know, with sibling, with sibling situations, I think it's really difficult because, you know, when we were kids, we were all pretty physically aggressive with each other. We were farm kids. We were, uh, and, and I think that line gets gets blurred a bit. And I think what's remarkable to me now is how unblurry it seems and yet how it was blurred. Because, you know, my brother, it's not the case that we were, you know, I was nine and he was 10 or something and we were um, and we would we would wrestle and sometimes it would go far. You know, he was he was a full 10 years older than me and I was 15. He was a 25 year old man. I don't think it was that ambiguous. Actually, I I don't think it was. But he but but I think it, it was. Because it was a sibling situation, I think it becomes easier to kind of kind of change it in a way or tell yourself that that's what it is, even when the facts are the facts. What was the biggest cultural shock for you when you started university? Oh, um, I think the social aspect was pretty dramatic in that I'd never had a friend who was mainstream. You know, I'd never had a friend who went to school. I'd, there were kids in my town. I saw them at Sunday school, but I never went to their house. They never went to mine. You know, we were the weird homeschool family and, and, and I didn't have friends. So the social aspect, I was, I was pretty awkward and I didn't know how to talk to people and it was not great. But the uh, even just academically, you know, just not knowing anything and having... Moments like that where, you know, I asked about Holocaust, never heard of it. And, and I think people around me heard that as, as me denying it. 
they heard it as anti-Semitism that I was saying, what is this? You know, the Holocaust. And I very much meant it as, what? What, what is this? And um, and also how, how horrific to get the answer to that question yeah, and it's without f- any preemptive history no. understanding. And there's a thing where you kind of feel like, what is, am I reading a, a novel here? You know, I just remember reading the first things I read about it. I just thought, what, what is, you know, then I was just really hardcore. What is it? What am I reading about? What are we talking about? How could this have happened? And then how could it have happened without me knowing about it? And how come everyone else knows about it? And yeah, the world starts kind of melting a bit. If you have a family of your own one day, what would you pass on from your own upbringing, both the good and the bad? You know, what would you want to pass on and what would you want to not pass on? Oh, that's a big question. You know, I think every parent is going to make mistakes and I think every parent is going to is going to is going to mess up. But I think you know, I had a moment when I first told my mother about my brother. Um and I told just her first uh that she really she believed me. She she later denied that she believed me and and took my dad's side of things, but initially she she did believe me and she apologized to me and she said that she was sorry that she hadn't protected me the way that she wished she had. And I don't know, it's a it's a tragic thing to think of in the light of how things turned out, but at the same time I remember I just remember how healing those words were at that time and almost almost by her saying to me that admitting to me that she hadn't really been the mother to me that she wished she'd been. In a strange way she kinda of became that mother for the first time and I, I kinda of felt like I was able to go back and, and relive a lot of things and, and experience them differently because I knew she wished that they'd been different, even if they hadn't been. And uh, so I don't know exactly what lesson there is to take from that, but I think it probably has something to do with admitting your mistakes and trying to be open and honest about them, and maybe your kids won't forgive you, but they probably will. And I think they have a better chance of it if you can can admit it. Well, it sounds like... The value of an apology can be healing, whether or not it leads to forgiveness. It's I think different. it could help them. Mm. If there's been some misunderstanding or they think that there's something you did because you didn't love them or you didn't care about them, and then you say, no, that, wasn't, that was not it. It was this other thing, which is maybe not great either, but it was not that. I think that's an important point to make. Tara, thank you so much for coming in and speaking with us. My pleasure. That's Tara Westover. Her book is called Educated, and we will pop a link up to it on our website. Just head to kindling.com.au.